is going on everybody? How are ya? This is Noah Baker coming at you with Voices of Construction yet again. Um, super excited about this episode. Um, we had some hiccups considering here in Boston we had a nor'easter and the power was going on and off and, and things of that nature but we got it done and we're, we're getting it in your hands. For this week's episode, we actually talked to Nick. Nick is the founder and CEO at BitRip, a new partner of ours. Um, I'll let him explain his technology, but moreover, Nick is one of the most interesting people I've spoken to in a while. Um, he's born and raised, or born in the UK, raised in the United States, became a uh, member of the Marine Corps, flew um, many different planes, ended up crashing one of them. His stories are endless. He's a great storyteller. Um, ended up writing an, an essay to get into Harvard Business School for his MBA about his, his goals and, and things of that nature around um, the Marines and what he's done there. But Ultimately, super interesting guy, has a great outlook on construction, the industry, and, and its needs. Uh, I'll just let him explain himself and tell his stories because he's going to do it better than I can. But again, here it is. Enjoy another episode of Voices of Construction. Well, Nick, welcome. It's nice to have you. We've, we were just chatting about the, uh, the insane weather we have, but uh, we all survived. We're all complaining about like minute weather systems as well. <laughs> <laughs> Things that blow blow down our, our lawn furniture. Mm, and, uh, yeah, no, my, my balcony furniture is just a wreck right now. You know, I just can't handle it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I call, my, I call my father down in Florida and he's like, oh, so was it like a cat four hurricane? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he's like, okay, then why did you call me? So, <laughs> It, it, it made my wind chime sound a little bit less mm. uh, elegant than normal. Couldn't sleep through the uh, the tree, beautiful tree and leaf noise. Well, thanks so much for jumping on today. Um, it's 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 super awesome to talk to you. I can't tell you how much everyone that's met you at TouchPlan raves about you and how awesome you would you would be to have. Um, we got we got the the time to chat a little bit beforehand, but I kind of just wanted to to kick it off. I, I think part of the reason everyone at TouchPlan just is adores you is is your story and and how you tell it. So I wanted to just kind of start off from wherever you want, wherever beginning you want, and and go to where you came to to BitRip, and and we can go from there. Yeah. So yeah. So I grew up. Um, youngest of, of four boys and uh, came over to the United States in 2001 to uh, Duke uh, University and then joined the Marine Corps obviously uh, in October 2001 after 9-11. Um, joined as a sort of reserve officer training corps, the ROTC. And then right after college, it just it was right into the Marine Corps uh, where, where kind of I learned a lot a lot about myself, to be honest. I mean, I, I never had that those kind of challenges before in my life. And I think 13 years, it was almost as if the Marine Corps was raising me from 18 until I got out when I was around 35. Awesome. And then that, that transferred into a career in technology and, and then, <laughs> then ultimately in, in BitRip? 
It is. And so everything that's happened in my life has, has been serendipitous, to be honest. There wasn't any real plan to it. It just, everything fell in place. And so when I left the Marine Corps, I went to Harvard Business School. And I think one of the reasons why I actually got into Harvard Business School was because I had such an interesting story of my time in the Marine Corps, which was um, you know, I, when I was a, a younger captain in 2009, I actually had crashed a jet aircraft, um, completely my fault crash that happened, but it was a huge wake up call to me. Um, a, a big kind of professional failure that sort of haunted me for a long time and took a while to overcome. But I used that as sort of an interesting story about failure and overcoming failure, which, which in turn got me to Harvard Business School. And then when I was at Harvard Business School, I just happened to run into the right person at the right time that had a very interesting, um, was sort of playing around with an interesting technology that I took and kind of ran with. And so everything I've done has not necessarily been planned. It's just, again, sort of being at the right place at the right time. Okay, so I I will be remorse if we allow this this episode to cruise over crashing an aircraft. If, if it were, <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, yeah, thinking about it, I I would love to to just dive into that quickly to see. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I I always say like you got to own your biggest failures and talk about them. Um, yeah, it was in North Carolina of all places. Um, I was we were doing these. carrier landings Uh, there's a small field out in North Carolina that simulates an aircraft carrier and I was having a fantastic day flying actually was you know doing really well landing the jet uh, getting real good solid grades on the in the jet and then on my, my I think it was like my sixth or seventh landing I landed it and was getting ready to take off and what happened was my feet, so I, I flew the AVAP Harrier, right? So it's a jet aircraft that can land vertically and take off in really short distances. Um, and it has these brakes that are extremely sensitive because it doesn't need huge brakes, right? Because it lands so slowly, you don't need some amazing brakes, but they're very, very sensitive brakes. And so my feet were on the pedals as I took off. and. Because of that, the tires exploded and a bunch of smoke was coming out the back. And so as I was taking off, I see all this smoke coming out the back. And uh, and there's another piece of the puzzle that's kind of confusing, which is the fact that when your feet are resting on the brakes, the communication call that the people make to tell you to get your feet off the brakes um, is just that it's to shout brakes 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 down the radio and unfortunately when they shouted brakes down the radio um, immediately sort of when you have a small split second time to make a decision your your mind kind of works automatically and so to me that felt there's smoke in the back of my cockpit and someone's shouting brakes so that probably means to get on the brakes instead of get off them but unfortunately, it was it was too late. There wasn't enough rate, uh, wasn't enough runway left, and so I went careening off the runway. And so um, it was basically a perfectly good um, smashed into a ditch purely because of a communications failure. I 
Yeah. The the way you explain that is so nonchalant. It just makes me feel like I haven't done anything cool in my entire life. <laughs> so it's funny because I'm just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's fun to, I tell you, it wasn't fun during the time. Uh, <laughs> it was because when, when you have an incident like that, it's, they really, they don't, they spend a little bit of time making sure you're okay. And you've got four limbs attached to your body. Then after that, it's it's not, it's not. There's not a lot of sympathy. You basically the first thing they do is they they throw you in the back of a truck and they drive you to the hospital and they drain your fluids to make sure that they have a record of your blood, your urine, everything to make sure that you know you are you're physically fit for the job. Then you go straight to a board where they basically plug you with with questions while it's still fresh in your mind. And, and so literally the same day I crashed a jet, I was in front of four or five uniformed individuals explaining every single little detail about the crash. And, you know, it goes on for days, really. And so it's it's pretty brutal. I mean, it should be brutal, um, 100%. I mean, it's a big taxpayer's dollars right there being kind of uh, blown up in smoke. But, but now looking back, though, you know, I, I, I can almost measure everything I screw everything I fail at right now, I can measure it against that and be like, you know what, it's going to be okay. Uh, I've done worse. Right. So isn't it? It's, it's funny because there's a, you know, when you read about stoicism, right? One of the, the tricks of stoicism is to imagine something far worse. And then it kind of lets you sort of keep things in perspective. Uh, and so that's kind of, I use it as my sort of trick for stoicism of like, yeah, okay. I messed this up, but I didn't crash a Harrier jump jet. So everything's going to be a-okay. Yeah. I, I, I wish my benchmark failures got me into Harvard as well, <laughs> along with your other skills and intelligence. But, but I totally understand that. So you, you met with the technology once at Harvard over here in the yeah. represent Boston. What, what? Um, and, and after that, Kind of, kind of walk me through that because I know you were new to the construction industry as I was when I when I got into um, the industry. So, walk me through that a little bit and and why you made that decision. Yeah, so uh, you know I, I went. It was kind of one of those things where I got into Harvard. I gave you know high fives all around, completely just shocked and in awe that I was able to do that. But then, and this is a hundred percent true. When I arrived at Harvard, I had zero idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to go somewhere that would help sort of propel my career, right? So when I got there, they were saying, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I, I don't know, something along the lines of business. Um, no idea what I wanted to do. And so it, it, it kind of had me scrambling a bit. At the very end of the semester, people said, you know, you should be interviewing now. You should probably be interviewing for consulting or banking. And um, I was honestly caught completely flat-footed. Um, I had a few interviews that I managed to scrape together, but it was in no sort of career direction that I was absolutely enthralled by. And so luckily though, my, my brother who's in the Navy ran into a, a company in Massachusetts, sorry, in Boston called Advanced Functional Fabrics of America, a, a FOA for short. and they were just kind of a company that essentially makes some super interesting fiber related technology 
but they wanted to pull someone in with an entrepreneurial spirit who could take that technology and find business cases for it. And so one of the things, one of the technologies, they had amazing stuff. Like I'm talking James Bond shrinking semiconductors inside fibers and making your shirt like smart stuff that you would, you wouldn't think is possible. They were doing right. But one of the things they had, the reason we watch Batman and Iron Man is just to imagine that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it, it was like, it was, it was very odd being there because I mean, I'm not joking around. Like I was the dumbest person in this entire organization by far. Like these, you know, you have these people walking around PhDs and just engineers that you kind of, every time they talk, they're basically speaking a different language. And so, but they, they, they did have these backpacks, right? And these backpacks were these scannable backpacks. You look at them and they had this sort of kind of similar code. It looked like basically plaid. And the idea was that you would scan these backpacks and it would tell you information about that individual who was wearing the backpack, which, you know, it was interesting, but I didn't think a business case really came out of it. There wasn't yeah, really I a- I grew up in New York. If someone could scan the thing I was wearing on my back, without me looking and have my personal information, just, yeah, that would be my it, nightmare. And, and, and in the age of privacy too, I think we're kind of getting to a point where more people wanted to get, most people want to have less information about themselves out there as opposed to more. But interestingly enough though, the, you know, I thought about, you know, well, here's a code that gets weaved into a continuous fabric, right? That they use and they chop up and they, and they make it into a backpack. What would be interesting is maybe you could use that sort of continuous code and sort of change the form factor a bit and make it so like, what is something that I would, I would want to put information on? And so I started sort of putting two and two together and, and immediately arrived at this concept of, of, of tape. And the reason how I arrived at that was because I remember being in military logistics. I was a pilot as well as a logistician. I remember sort of tinkering with QR code and, you know, what would be a good system to use to track physical stuff, but I never could get the QR thing working the way I wanted it to. It was just a very fragile system. You had to do a lot of printing and configuring, and you had to get a lot of buy-in from people to use it properly. And there wasn't any kind of location tracking or anything. It was just, it was a very sort of open, fragile system. And so I just remember being like, man, if there was a way that you could just do it real simple, just no, no difficult hardware, and you just do it on the fly, it'd be fantastic. And then it kind of, the, the light bulb sort of clicked when I thought, why can't we just put this sort of unique continuous code, but put it on tape so that when you sort of, instead of, and I've seen construction while I was there at the time, the entire place was going through a construction outfit. And so I was walking around and I saw people literally writing on the walls information that they wanted to pass to about that yep. specific place. I saw people putting up masking tape and writing chicken scratch hieroglyphics on it that you would hope the other person could decipher. And I was like, well, well, well shoot. You could just put a pattern on that tape and then just a simple pattern could unlock your entire iphone and everything that's on your iphone like photographs videos links audio notes and encode it in the tape and it wouldn't 
There's no like crazy hardware involved. It's literally an ink put on tape. And so that's kind of where the idea flourished at the beginning. Well, actually, I shouldn't say it flourished at the beginning. It was an interesting idea, but given my military background, I was very much hyper-focused on this being a military tool before, again, a serendipitous moment occurred where construction pulled me in a completely different direction. Interesting. Yeah, so it might be – so typically on this on these episodes, we we don't necessarily talk about our technology all, all day long and, and bore people and, and do like a, a sales pitch, um, but – it might just be my my ignorance on on how how all of this works and the use cases. I would I would love to hear like when we're talking about continuous code on tape. Maybe we don't need to talk about use cases, but in terms of that information transfer, how it works, how we cut it. In my eyes, you know, I immediately thought about baggage claim. Right, they track my stuff from here to. Zermatt, Switzerland, by checking in with it, right? What what types yep. of information are we transferring? How does this work for the listener? And and kind of what what are we talking about? I think you and I know, but just for everyone that's kind of listening, maybe kind of explain a little further. So you, so you think it would be helpful for me to sort of explain exactly sort of a, a layman's term of how the technology is working? Yes. Hey, perfect. Yeah. So, no, it, it, it's great because, you know, I've been doing this for, for two years. And so even I have a lot to learn, but I'll be honest, like when I first saw those backpacks, I thought there was some kind of circuitry inside the fibers. I did not understand how, you know, information could pop out of a backpack. I just didn't. And so, you know, the, the most similar. When I first saw BitRip. I was like, okay, there's exactly. like underlying tape. There's kind of like a fiber inside. We can geotag it. That has to be what's going on here. Exactly. And and I will tell you, I was the same way. And here's why is, is because the way that technology is used is so under, it's essentially so underused. So when someone says, oh, barcode, the first thing, I mean, the, the core of this technology is barcode. That's it. It's the same thing that when you go into a grocery store and you do go to the self-checkout and you're pinging those things, it's almost the exact same thing. It's a computer. It, it depends what it's using. It could be using its optical sensors or it could be using a laser. But at the end of the day, a computer is looking at a unique code and is able to say, I've seen this unique code, that's it. And so barcode is a very rudimentary version of this, right? Where all, all the computer is doing is saying, I see a unique set of lines, and I can confirm that this unique set of lines, which equals a, a digit or an identifier, 00192585, whatever it is, I can confirm that I have seen that code. That's it, and that's all barcode is, is proof of presence. And so, that, and, but, you know, that's kind of mainly how barcode gets used. But if you think about that though, it could be used for so much more. Like there's so much more that you can glean from, from reading a unique identifier through, through barcode. Um, it's not just proof of presence. I could say, you know what? 
every time my machine reads that unique code, every time I'm going to assign a photograph to that unique code, I'm going to assign a web address, an audio clip, and I'm just going to plug a unique code on that thing so that every time my iPhone sees that unique code, it brings up that audio note, it brings up that video. It just, all it is, is a key identifier, and that's it. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that seems way too simple, but that's what it is. I mean, we're not talking about James Bond circuitry here. We're talking about simple, just reading a serial number and saying, here's what I've tied to this serial number, period. And, and the reason why I think that's so important is that the best technologies, honestly, are the ones that, that can really anchor on the most simple, simple concepts. And so I'm, I'm living in a tech world where the buzzwords of machine learning, AI, all sorts of buzzwords that, you know, they're, they're, they're very cool, but they're still years, you know, sometimes a decade away, whereas I'm using something that was used decades ago, like decades and decades ago, and it has not changed. And so we're just simply making a, you know, I wouldn't I'd hesitate to say reinventing the wheel, but we're taking a very, very simple concept and and layering on real value to it. And so far, I think I think it's a very interesting path we're going down. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the the listeners here, and and I'll, I'll take a crack at it. Really, what we're talking about here is the ability to to use a unique identifier on equipment, things of that nature. There's a thousand different use cases to log those those movements, those photos, those audio files. And if I'm completely butchering this, Nick, please just- No, you're doing great. You're doing great. The tape, <laughs> think of the tape as just a fingerprint. That's it. Um, it it's, a, it's a fingerprint that's not your fingerprint, but it is a unique fingerprint. And it's just tracking the life of that tape and everything that happens to that tape. And that's it. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, and, and I've been thinking about our conversation the other day for a couple of days now, and um, it's interesting being in construction technology. When we talk about it, we had a short conversation around kind of something that was physical, that applied technology intelligence, and something that is completely cloud-based, like TouchPlan or any of these other platforms. And... When we talk about adoption of technology in construction, I see kind of bridging that gap and making people more comfortable. Your your technology and, and what you guys are doing at BitRip being something that they can accept more readily. Do you do you see yes. that because it's tangible and it's it's something that they they understand. They can physically put it on a forklift. They can put it on a man lift. They can do what they need to. Is that something yes. that you see? It is. I, I hate. I mean, I will say, like, it is. It is exactly that. Um, and that's been, you know, we've been throwing this this tape in front of a lot of people, and it has been over and over again the same reaction of this is something I can digest. Like this is. Because, and I am the same way. I coming from the Marine Corps, I can tell you that like you have a very, very big appreciation 
for technologies that are simple, rugged, accessible, and highly effective in what they're supposed to do, right? I can't tell you how many times in the Marine Corps I got a bunch of fancy tech that was in front of me. Um, and it was, it was as if like someone had dreamed up my problems that I never, ever had. It was, you know, I remember one time they gave me these pair of glasses, right? That I would be put on the field and I would stare down at a QR code and all of a sudden this three-dimensional town would pop up and I could do all my mission planning um, with this three-dimensional town that popped up in the middle of the desert. And that's, that's the same, right? You know, <laughs> but this was supposed to, it, it was, but like, it was also like, so then I was like, okay, great. So I had these glasses, right. And the first thing I did when I put them on was I held the brim and all of a sudden I apparently hit control alt delete and canceled the whole thing because they'd put the buttons on the rim of the on the, uh, on the handles of the glasses. And so it immediately broke, like literally the first time I saw it immediately broke. And my guys were, got the shovels out and they started digging uh, digging the map into the dirt um, and doing it the old school way because technology just didn't work. And this happened time and time again. Nine times out of 10, technology in the military got it completely wrong. But there were times when it got it right. And it got it right because they followed these four fundamental criteria. It's simple, rugged, effective, and it's, and it's extremely effective at what it's supposed to do. And it's accessible too. And so when we sport this tape in front of people, we, you know, they're used to seeing a lot of software that takes many days to learn and has a lot of different sort of ways to show you the information. And it is extremely useful, but it's just a lot. It's, it's, it has a shock value when you see it for the first time and you're playing around with it, especially when you're kind of used to a very dynamic and dusty environment it's just difficult to kind of look at a laptop and see all these numbers and try and make the numbers make sense. And so, but when you, you place a, a roll of tape in front of them that they've looked and seen and used and, and they know how it works and they, and the other big thing, unfortunately, which was a, a positive for us was QR code became a lot more front and center after COVID-19. And, you know, you had to use QR codes to eat because that's where the menus were. If you know how to, so, if you know how to eat at a pub, you know how to use our technology. Yeah, and I'll tell you, like, there could be a very good possibility if, if had we not, had we started this company a few years back, we might have got not no, ever gotten off the ground because QR code was still kind of not mainstream. It was it's mainstream in a lot of different other areas, but in 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 America, it was not mainstream, and so. So we present this tape and you say, look, you just have to download an app, hover your phone over it and upload information as easily as you would, you would add to a, a WhatsApp thread or a text thread. It was like, okay, I get that. Like, I can see why that's valuable. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and one of the things that resonated with, with me about just having that conversation is working, starting to work at TouchPlan I think everyone in the industry was so appreciative and and on the other side sick and tired of getting calls from tech companies that had no idea what it was like to set foot on a job site what it was like to have all of the shit hitting the fan and not really know what that looks like on a job site right like 
for example, when nobody knew what it looked like when you put that button on the sunglasses and then it was completely minute and nothing was working and you had to go back to shovels. And I feel like that's one of the things I loved about TouchPlan is that it was developed by people in construction who knew what they were doing, had consultants, and, and we can speak the language. But at the same time, coming in without that background, did you just lean a lot on your experience in the Marine Corps yes. because they're so similar? It, it was. I, I absolutely leaned on my experience. And, you know, it, it has been a disadvantage because obviously you, you got to learn the industry very quickly. But it's also a big advantage because you naturally have that outside the box way of thinking because you haven't you haven't been sort of, you know, raised with the, the same challenges that literally just throw up your hands and say, well, that's the way it's always been done. But yeah. when you're an outsider, you don't you don't have that that over on your shoulder. That's the way it's always been done. You also, you start asking questions like, why does it happen that way? why like that it shouldn't be that way and then you're a lot more confident to challenge the status quo as an outsider and so my my you know my thing was like what you know why why are people making dozens and dozens of calls a day trying to re retrieve information that relates to a physical place when they could overcome that barrier by by figuring out a technology that puts information at the right place at the right time kind of thing and that's just an example of, of many different examples where th there are things that you just you just end up giving in because that's the way it's always been done. And it, it just takes an outside perspective to say, guys, I, I don't think it needs to be that way. I think we can actually work through this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's actually a topic we, we like have I've talked about a thousand different times when when I got into the industry, when I look at what a 200 million dollar high rise going up or a half a billion dollar data center and coming from a technology background and working at tech firms my entire professional career i was showed the processes that were in place and i didn't have any of of that like well this is this is the way it is so do it this way i was just like holy crap this is the way people build these beautiful skyscrapers. This is the way people change our skylines. This is the way people rebuild hospitals. This is absolutely insane to me. And the more and more you understand the industry, there are those speed bumps and those blockers that, that keep it in a more stone age vibe, right? But at the same time, I feel very confident that it's simply because there is kind of this personal mentality of like, this is how we do it. This is what we do. Like, this is, this is the construction industry. And that's yeah. why I enjoy talking to, to individuals like you, where it's that outsider view where if we can make it accessible, we understand what you're doing. I think that's one of the biggest things that we can kind of talk on that is I think there's a lot of technology out there being thrown at every industry, including the, you know, the the Marines, the the Navy, um, you know, everything from healthcare to construction. 
where it's this brilliant idea, but what problem are we really solving, right? And and how do I get this individual home from work earlier? Or how do I make their life easier? And what I've found yeah. strongly in construction, and I'd love to hear your opinion, is that those grassroots value propositions hold a lot more water than any other industry I've ever worked in where I can get you home safe early and I can give you time back on your calendar to do the things you love and I can get you to communicate better with the colleagues that you know and love at the Sunday barbecue, right? Isn't it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. That's exactly it is, you know, one is that there are a lot of stakeholders um, and one of the biggest one of the biggest mistakes I see is the fact that you don't appreciate that, you know, the person that buys something isn't necessarily the person that feels the pain. And so you have to really, and the construction industry is so dense and so diverse that you just have to win over a lot of stakeholders. And so you can have the most marvelous technology and sell it to a manager Jira level, but if the front line doesn't use it, it loses all of its ability to do the job. And so you have to really speak to every single stakeholder. Um, and that's one of the, the things that is the most difficult thing in construction is you're, you're having to win over an extremely diverse crowd of people. And to do that, it's an extremely big challenge. Um, it just is. Um, but one thing I would like to say from from previous point is like that you raised was, you know, you think about the challenges that a construction industry faces is more unique than any other industry that I I could ever think of. Um, and a lot of people kind of give construction sort of a, a raw outlook and saying, oh, well, construction is really like digitally like stone age that they're not willing to kind of push themselves through, which I can agree with to a, agree to a degree, but What's really interesting about construction is how incredibly complex it is, how many moving pieces there are that it's, it's amazing. Like it truly is. And I never actually appreciated when I was growing up, like what, what goes into a building, like literally what goes into a building. You just, you just marvel at like, I'm surprised that there are buildings all together, just given how complicated it is. And so you start to marvel at this industry and then you start realizing that it, there are so many areas where it can be improved um, that it, it's, it's almost a dream industry. There's so many challenges out there that can be improved upon. But again, it's just one of those things where you have to, you have to go in with your eyes wide open and realize that there's a very good chance that your tech is going to be thrown to the side very quickly unless you unless you get it right and you start really talking to the actual stakeholders no I, and, I can I completely agree I think one of the biggest things that was a massive rewarding challenge for me and understanding who I'm speaking to and I, I I think this entire podcast was kind of built on the fact that there are misconceptions of, of what really goes on how hard it is how complex it is and how the professionals that work in this industry think. But one of the things that that I work to do is develop very detailed use cases for any technology and the technology that I work for 
to understand that exact use case, right? I have, I'm working on a hospital project. It's a JV. I have all of these different moving parts. I have seven specialty contractors that are only working on this section of the project. I have them doing this work, that thing, and developing that understanding map in your head is a massive challenge. And it may be a conversation around the fact that technology companies aren't or weren't able to harness that complexity to make their products simple enough to use, but dynamic enough to solve those pain points across multiple, multiple different kind of zones and aspects of what we see on a day-to-day basis in construction. Yeah. And, and it, 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 it's, it's in an industry that's almost kind of, I wouldn't say you're doomed to fail. Like it's, it's a big challenge in the fact that, you know, the, the way I've seen the construction industry, the way, the way sort of you see something getting built, everyone has their lane and they have their expertise, but they're sort of pigeonholed into that expertise. Uh, but but everything kind of relates to one another. And so it's an enormously complex ecosystem and you're trying to build a software that can manage a complex ecosystem, but turn it into something that's extremely simple that everyone just knows how to use. And, and I'm honestly, that's, that's probably an impossible task or, or near impossible task. And so that's, and, and that's we what- both, We both know that conquering the entire ecosystem is, is just gonna develop one of those companies that does everything kind of okay and not one thing great. Right. Yes. It, and and that's what I, I've seen the biggest failure in technology across the board for wherever I've worked is if you bite off more than you can chew, you're it's never gonna work more more importantly, never gonna work for the end user that we're trying to yep. make their lives better and make it easier for them. Exactly. Exactly. And so we and, and unfortunately, that's kind of what the position we're, we're somewhat in um, is, you know, our tool is not the best at anything. It's not the best at tool tracking. It's not the best at tracking people or project management or, or tracking, you know, materials all over the place. But we're kind of in a position where we, we can do all of those things, but we're not the absolute best at it. But the problem is, is to get tools at the absolute best at it, you have to pay a lot of money to, to get those really advanced tools. And so we're kind of a, a victim of this and the fact that, you know, our tape by itself, I mean, literally all it is is a communications platform on tape. Um, but what, and so we're learning the hard way of you, you can be, you know, good at something, but you can't be the best at everything. And so that's kind of why we're somewhat pivoting towards instead of, you know, we, we offer a very sort of simple thing, but we're thinking along the lines of, well, let's just at least be a conduit instead of a instead of the actual end solution. Just be a way for the best people to, to be able to reach out and touch the physical world through our tape. And so that's kind of why we're somewhat pivoting towards just being a simple tool that's good at one thing. And for us, it's making the digital to physical connect without printers, without configuration, without any of that stuff. And so we learn we learn the hard way that um, just like you said, you can't be you can't be the you know you, there's a very big danger of being the jack of all trades, master of none. Right. 
Yeah, and and we we see that all the time, where even even the big players in the world try try to. I'm trying to say this as nice as possible. Um, yeah. Try try to try to get in on a little ecosystem, and it's it it really is, and it comes back to that unique problem set and that that unique ba- like business challenge that we see within construction that you really need to absolutely understand and have have experience with to solve and yeah. and that's really where i i pride the company i work for and i pride touch plan for for doing that where i don't think a lot of people do that and i hate the fact that there is is a a view towards technology from from the industry in that it's like you don't you don't know my day-to-day man it's like yeah. sell me that solve me a problem okay fine but what i wanted to kind of step back and, and go back to is our our relative experience with construction and and just now with your ability to speak to so many people and and see what's happening and and you know thousands and thousands of of calls that i've been on where what what kind of conceptions or ideas or or where did you come into this industry saying oh this is what commercial construction must be like and where were you proved wrong yeah so i'll tell you that the way we did it to be honest if i threw the the path that we went in front of sort of any sort of business savvy investor we did it completely the wrong way you're supposed to do it so you had mentioned a little bit previously that you know, a lot of these people create a technology before they've even solved for a problem. Well, we 100% did that. Like, I will freely admit that we created the ability to, to store, like a, a Dropbox on tape, store information on tape, without having any idea of what real problem we were solving. However, what we, what we did do, right, was we went toward the industry with this technology we had a we had a hypothesis that this could be used for for um, project management. We were completely laughed out the room as soon as you say project management and constructions in the construction circles, you, eyes will roll and they'll kick you out because you'll be like the one one hundredth project management software they've seen that day thrown at them. But what what we did interestingly enough though was we just got the tape in the hands of customers and just let them play around with it and let them sort of brainstorm how they would use this. And that's where we kind of learned was when we approach the industry, we realized that a lot of people have, you know, their brains can go on fire very quickly because they've had all this experience and all they needed was like a little bit of a nudge with the technology. And so one of the things we did was we gave this tape to a Turner Construction SPO and just talked to them about it. And immediately they were like, could you add GPS to this? And could you do this to this? Or, or add, add like a logbook feature where it records everything that happens at every event. And we were like, yeah, we could do that. That's you know all this stuff we can do. And then very quickly, they started informing us and building us, helping us build out the technology. And we went from a project management tool to an asset material management tool because there was a hundred companies doing project management but no one had figured out how to track physical objects as they move across the construction space. 
Um, there was, there's RFID out there, but that's prohibitively expensive. But no one had really figured out a real quick, easy way to sort of barcode stuff. And so what I found was the, these, this industry is actually really hungry to, to not just receive solutions, but be part of the solution themselves and work with you. Um, and so now we've worked with so many different companies who just had a lot of people that gave us the time of day. Um, you know, initially they initially they were kind of a little adverse to speaking or, or trying anything out new, but once they got comfortable with it, every single time their mind just started going like at, at a thousand miles per hour, telling us different ways in which we could add on to the technology. And so really we were just lucky. We just we were just lucky because we stumbled upon a very interesting technology that essentially was built by the customer. Um, we, we just sat back, listened, made sure it made sense, made sure it was something that was scalable. So it worked for lots of different people. And that's how we, that's how we made our model and, you know, knock on wood so far, it's been, it's been great. Um, and so I think, you know, again, starting with a small technology that's unlike anything that's been done before, and then just using it as sort of a sensor to listen and, and, and see where it could fit, happen to work out for us. Now, I'm not saying that's the way to always do it. A lot of people would say you should never do that. It should be a very linear, here's a problem, here's a solution. But in this case, it actually worked out very well for us. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think either way, where if you have a linear solution or you took the approach that that you guys did is it's a responsibility of a technology company enabling an industry that might have been slower on the technology route in terms of project management field management equipment management to understand what the heck is going on and the way we do that is to take the approach that you did, where I don't think we, we see that very often, right? Where we always have user user webinars and conferences and, and feed from those people that I think is now kind of gone in other industries because it's like every tech company and finance is like, we got it, we understand. Yeah. Like we know what you're doing. But now the responsibility of a tech company in construction where we can't safely say we understand, we know, we got it. We need to go to that end user and, and yeah. have that approach to develop. And, and you have to go to the real end user too. So one problem, and, and I saw this in the military too, right, is they, they go to the users that attend these conferences, but those users are not your your average like person that's swinging a hammer like they're not they're not the ones that like have a big big part to play they just happen to be into really neat technologies but that's not really your end user and so what was fortunate for us right again i'm going to use this term over and over again i'll sound like a broken record the serendipitous things that happened to us is we made a partnership with ram tool early on Ram tool sells hardware. They sell stuff that you can reach out, touch, throw in the ground, pick up, and it still works. They're in an, an industry where they literally are used by the end user. And so when we gave them this tape, they kind of gave us a ticket into the cool club of being able to sort of go with them in vehicles, go to the end users, 
throw this and because we had ram tools that kind of protective shield around us we weren't laughed off the site people said okay cool if you're if you're with ram tool you're good to go let's play around with this tech we they would taught you never how to wear ppe on site and all of that yeah exactly right <laughs> and so like i had to go to walmart and find myself like you know a toy construction hat so i looked like i fit in kind of thing but like no it was it was completely it was, you know, we needed them. It was absolutely critical because people generally, and, and I go back to like, they were, they're very warm, they'll talk to you, but you do need to get on the guest list and you need to have someone that's gonna let you in. And so RamTool did that for us. And that's, that's where I think we had an advantage was we were talking to the people that actually feel the pain point, not the person that's in the innovation cell that will love new tech and tell you all these great ideas when really they're not the ones who are, are just like you said, they're not the ones that if the job goes wrong, they're going to be staying up on the job site um, till like way beyond they're supposed to. They're not the actual real pain, the ones that feel the pain. So we, we were able to sort of get right direct to the end users, to the people that were willing and and I'll tell you like some of them were, were just like no this tapes this tape is too much like I'm just gonna write on painters tape not 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 gonna work for me like there are still people out there but there are people that would would have will inform you and say look this is what you need to do this is what you don't need to do and stay away from doing this and that those little bits of of advice I mean those things are worth their weight in gold for us. Um, Oh, yeah. So I, I learned that from the Marine Corps because I remember going to these conferences where people were nerding out on this complicated stuff. And I've sat there looking around at my fellow Marines like, there's no way a Marine is going to use that. You've already lost them two sentences in because you're using vocabulary that we've never heard of. Uh, because they, the, the, the tech people were not like close enough to the warfighter on the ground. And so we, we took that lesson learned and did it with construction with, you know, that we let the front lines decide what was good, what was not. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to be using the tool. If you don't get their buy-in, it doesn't matter how fancy your technology is, it's just not going to work. Well, also the, the value to upper management, the value to the C-suite doesn't exist, right? You have to graduate with the ease of use on the front lines to provide your company to provide value to the the C-suite and the executive teams, which I think is phenomenal. And I see, I, I love the direct correlation of, you know, how things are planned and how data travels through an organization and construction, starting yeah. at the, the front line, right? Because you ultimately will offer information and transparency to a px or a you know a, a c-suite guy sitting in his office and be able to view that just like we do at touch plan but the idea of garbage in garbage out really is harnessed in that grassroots ease of use adoption phase that is more important in construction than i've ever seen in my entire yeah. career, right? Where I've worked at platforms where it's like an executive will buy it and it's like, yeah, ease of use. Well, they'll use it anyways because I tell them to. Doesn't exactly. really yeah. work in construction. 
right? So I think it's just brilliant that you connected that the physical technology to the site and have that point of view. And you know, it's, you know, it's funny is we we're just like you said, we go, you know, the traditional route is win over the CTO, win over the manager, and then percolate down to the front lines. We went from the front lines and now we're trying to, I guess, percolate upwards to management. So one of the interesting things we're doing right now is, you know, the, the front lines were sold. Like they've like, yep, this is good. Like we like this, like this makes sense to us. But now we're giving it to the management level and they're like, great, okay, we understand where's the desktop version. And we're like, oh no, we don't have a desktop version. And so now we're, we're kind of like in this, in this sort of period of scrambling to get a desktop version uh, because we, we went the opposite way. We, we went with the mobile apps, we went with the front lines, we got their buy-in, but we didn't create something that would work for the managerial level. And so, so now we're basically kind of going on the exact opposite path of what most tech companies have to deal with, which is going from the top down. We're going from the bottom up. So it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting time, but I can tell you right now, like I, I cannot get the desktop out fast enough to, to get it in the hands of the managerial level who are, who are the, the second half of the ecosystem. Oh yeah. I mean, on a portfolio basis, if you can track everything that is going on with 35 projects, gold. Because I, I promise everyone listening, sitting in their office, has a whiteboard with 17 projects going on <laughs> that exactly. they fill yeah. in every morning and every day. That is a pain in the butt. But um, I, I wanna, I wanna thank you for, for, for jumping on today. But I also, I couldn't, I, I don't want to be selfish in terms of probably like the second most interesting man in the world on our podcast. I, I only say that because our first guest was my best friend growing up and in college. So he'll give me a phone call right after this if I don't call you the second most interesting <laughs> man in the world. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, I, that's that's a you know, that's a good thinking. Very good thinking. <laughs> yeah. Plus he's from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We don't really want to we don't want to mess with that guy, you know. Um, but yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely come to Boston. Come visit us at TouchPlan. We'd love to have you in the office um, and and come see some projects. and And I'll I always I always give a give a second to allow other technology companies and any vendors to kind of talk about BitRip, where we can find you, who you are, and and what you can solve. So I'll, I'll lend that to you. But thank you so much, Nick, for jumping on. I'll I'll let you have your night back. It's great. I, I really appreciate every everyone at TouchPlan. I mean, I'll say this: like you know, I've had been in talk to TouchPlan over the past six months, um, but their thinking about you know their, their concentration on where ones and zeros meet output, real solid output. It's an it's an incredible space. It's an untapped space, and uh, you know, with with TouchPlan and BitRip together, I think it's going to be like a really exciting, uh, really exciting year ahead. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about it. I mean, integrating that tape on site is a lot, okay, of, awesome. a lot of custom fields I'm, I'm thinking about right now, but awesome. And <laughs> thank you so much, man. We'll see you soon. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Noah. All right. Have a good day. Bye.